1: What's going on you guys welcome back to the neighborhood podcast I'm one of the hosts of the podcast my name is Kyle Dabra
0: What's going on everybody Kevin Valentin here other half of the podcast bro <laughs>
1: what bro, a, day a day bro I know we're about to dive into these topics in a little bit but today has just been an absolutely wild day I mean got the whole NBA news to go over a bunch of trade deadline news to go over we got the Super Bowl coming up this weekend Bro, we got an action packed episode and I can't wait to dive into it. So, let's go. Ready to dive into these topics? Let's go. All right. So, kind of like what we just mentioned, we got Super Bowl 56 coming up this weekend featuring the Rams and the Bengals. We'll dive into that a little bit. Then we'll pretty much dive straight into the NBA. We got a lot of topics to go over. A lot of it's going to revolve around the trade deadline. But the biggest one of all was the trade that involved the Nets and the 76ers. James Harden goes to Philly. Ben Simmons goes to Brooklyn and sets the world on fire on Twitter, social media across the map. I mean, you name it. It was one of the biggest headlines that took place on Thursday. And we'll definitely have some fun diving into those topics as well. We'll go over some of the other NBA trade moves that happened before the trade deadline. Chris Porzingis, he gets traded to the wizards. Uh, We also had some other moves like Serge Ibaka going to the bucks so there will definitely be a lot of trades that we'll go over. Uh, we'll dive a little bit into the Lakers' recent struggles. They had a pretty abysmal loss to the Portland Trailblazers just a couple of nights ago. Really, that segment's going to be about just the current state of the Lakers and really who's responsible for their troubles up to this point in the season. And then we'll round out the episode with the NBA All-Star lineups. Both of them have been selected, both LeBron James and... And Kevin Durant have selected their respective teams for the All-Star game, and we'll just kind of end the episode on that topic. But we got a lot to go over. Let's start with the NFL. And we got Super Bowl 56 on the agenda. So let's dive into it. So, as I think most of you know at this point, got a big game coming up on Sunday featuring the Los Angeles Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals. Really, these two teams have been playing stellar football throughout their postseason runs. It's actually the second time in a row that the hosting team will actually play in the Super Bowl. It happened last year in Super Bowl 55 with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Rams will do it in Super Bowl 56 in SoFi Stadium on Sunday. As for the Bengals, the Bengals have really kind of been playing the underdog role throughout this entire postseason run. They had the one home win against the Raiders. In the first round of the playoffs, and they followed it up with some impressive road wins against the Titans and the Chiefs. And they find themselves possibly playing for Super Bowl champions this upcoming Sunday against the Rams. Kevin, the floor is set. We got Super Bowl 56 on Sunday. Straight up, who do you have between the Rams and the Bengals on Sunday?
0: I've been rocking with him for a while now. I'm going Cincinnati all day. Here's why. I think Joe Burrow's ready for the spotlight. I think that offense is ready to move. I think that that defense has stunned a lot of people in the last couple of weeks, first containing Derrick Henry and then going into Arrowhead and containing Patrick Mahomes. Now, the one area of concern for me is, of course, the offensive line. However, I think that Cincinnati's offense will be well prepared for the pass rush that is Aaron Donald and Von Miller. So I think that they're going to have short intermediate passes, a lot of running plays to go and alleviate some of the stress off of uh, Joe Burrow. And then, of course, have some play action incorporated to go and freeze those linebackers and get some of those wide receivers in separation. Um, To be quite honest, I did actually see a funny point that was made. Not funny necessarily, but Richard Sherman had stated on his podcast that he does not believe that the Rams can contain Jamar Chase. And that specific reason is because the Rams don't play a lot of man. And there's a lot of zone going around. So if Jamar lines up on the opposite side or if Jamar shifts in motion, Jalen's not following him for the majority of the game unless the Rams go out and change their defensive scheme, which I don't think that they're going to do. I really would have to agree with Richard. The more that I actually paid attention and remembered a lot of those Rams games, Jalen Ramsey was floating and was in situational coverage at best to put it. Uh, But overall, I think that Jamar Chase is going to have himself a pretty big game. He's been very influential and very uh, impactful in his first postseason. And I think that that's going to spark a massive game for Joe Burrow. I'm not saying he's going to carve up this Rams defense, who's been one of the best in the postseason. Arguably, you could make the the point of it being the best. uh, But I think that they're ready to go, man. I think that they are going to have themselves a really good game. I'm predicting Joe Mixon to have over 100 total yards uh, between receiving and rushing. I got Joe Burrow thrown for about 275, three hundred, two two maybe a pick or two because it is a big stage. I don't know if he's ready to just overcome it with perfection, but I'm going to go out there and I normally don't make a score, but I'm going to say that this ends up being a seven point game, probably around the score of 28 to 21, something of that magnitude with the Bengals coming away with two turnovers.
1: Kevin, I've been going against the Bengals pretty much throughout this, this entire postseason run simply because... I didn't think that they had the pieces to get to this point. But I have to say now, I'm a believer in the Bengals. And I'm going to pick Cincinnati in this one over the ramps. And here's why. So with the Bengals offensively, they have really shown me that they've been playing smart football throughout this postseason run. And it really kind of showed itself to me in the biggest stage before the Super Bowl in the AFC Championship game. In, against the Chiefs, now despite the fact they got off to a slow start in the first half against Kansas City, they were able to turn it up in the second half and really put Casey on their heels by just constantly moving the ball down the field to get it into scoring position. And even though that I didn't think that Joe Burrow like lit up that Casey defense or their secondary to a certain extent, he played within himself and he made the plays that needed to be made. And really, that's really the best formula that I think that the Bengals can have in this game against the Rams. Start off slow, get used to the game just in the first quarter, going into the second quarter, some things like that. And then as you get into the second half, make your adjustments and then really try to punish the Rams. If they make some defensive coverage mistakes in that part of the game. So I have to agree with you about the Jamar chase angle. I think he's going to have a fantastic game against that Rams secondary just because Up until this point, I think Jamar has probably been the best receiver, maybe outside of Cooper Cup, in the playoffs so far. And despite only being a rookie, he has not played like one, and he's playing like a top-tier wide receiver at this point. So unless the Rams go out and double coverage against him, I think Jamar could possibly have 100 yards receiving. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a touchdown or two against that Rams defense. I think offensively, they do have to integrate Joe Mixon. Uh, as a priority just because you got to present the Rams with different looks. And I think to be quite honest with you, I think he's going to be a bigger factor in the passing game than he is in the run game, just because I don't think he's going to have a lot of run lanes to go through against that vaunted Rams front four with Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd and Von Miller. I think it's going to be tough sledding for him to get a decent run yards, but I think he's going to be huge in the passing game. And I wouldn't be surprised if Joe checks it down a couple of times, Uh, to mix in throughout the game. Now the biggest thing with the Bengals is their defense. How is this defense going to hold up against that Rams high-powered offense? Well, if you look at the game last week against the Chiefs, they held the Chiefs to three points in the second half and overtime. If they're able to perform to that type of level against Matt Stafford, Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham Jr., Van Jefferson... I think they have a very good shot of being able to contain that Rams offense to under 20 points. Granted, it's a lot easier said than done, but I think that they have the pieces to do it. I think their pass rush has been phenomenal throughout the entire postseason run that they've had. It really showed itself against the Chiefs in that AFC Championship matchup, and I think they can exploit that Rams offensive line pretty significantly because we saw in the NFC Championship game The 49ers were able to get a pass rush on Matt Stafford and made some bad throws for Matt just because of the pressure that was constantly getting to him. And the Rams really didn't turn it up until the fourth quarter because the Rams only scored seven points in that NFC Championship game through the first three quarters. So I think if the Bengals, they hold down defensively, they do what they need to do on offense, play a clean game from beginning to end. I see the Bengals coming out on top on this one. I do agree with you. I think it's going to be a one-possession game when it's all said and done. I'm going to go with a tighter margin, though. I think it's going to be a four-point game when it's all said and done. I think the Bengals win this one by the score of 28-24. to And I think the Bengals, I think they get a game-winning drive out of Joe Burrow at the end. I think he leads them down the field and gets them a touchdown, maybe with like 20 to 25 seconds left in the game. And I think that'll be the deciding factor. But I'm a believer in the Bengals. I've been wrong about them the entire postseason. I'm picking with them in this game, and that's just how I see it.
0: Praying to God that because you have been against them all postseason, that because you went with them, this pick does not mean that that is going to screw them out of a victory in the Super Bowl. I don't know if you're aware, but uh, you know, famous streamer slash video game expert uh, Tim The Tapman has been a jinx over the last mm-hmm. I don't know, yes, like he has. four weeks. Yes, he Everything he has picked, the opposite has happened, Kyle. I pray you don't have that effect, man. I really, really, really do. For Joey's sake, I, do, I really do.
1: You know, what won me over was that win against Kansas City on the road in the AFC Championship game because I thought Casey was going to spank yeah. them. I, I think I had Casey winning that game by two touchdowns, if I remember correctly. You did? Yeah, just you based predicted off of the predicted that. Yeah. And, out. and through the first half, it kind of looked like that because, I mean, the Chiefs were just wiping the floor with the Bengals in the first half. And then the Chiefs forgot how to football in the second half and huh. the rest. Yeah, bro. Like it was, it was like two different teams. It was completely wild, but you know, I, I think it's very similar to what I think New England had early on in their uh, post-season run when they had Tom, uh, his first year starting, you know, where he led them in that underdog role to get them not only to the Super Bowl, but was a big factor in them getting that Super Bowl win against the Rams. So let them on that game-winning drive to get Adam Vinatieri that game-winning field goal on Super Bowl 36, And I think that Joe Burrow can essentially do something very similar to it. So I think Joe I mean, is, they, they got Shooter
0: on that side. You know what I'm saying? They got Evan McPherson. So they do got a little bit of a good kicker on their side. I feel yeah. that.
1: Yes, they do. I mean, I would still say I would go with Vinatieri over McPherson. but McPherson, well, 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 yeah. <laughs> but, McPherson, but McPherson has a lot of confidence. Got a lot of swagger for a kicker, so I definitely respect that out of him. I think Pat McAfee might may have uh, may have influenced him a little bit on that one because McAfee walks around with that swagger even though he was a kicker. But, no, I, I think the Bengals are primed for this game. I think they'll be ready to go. And despite the fact that I think the Rams have essentially the same shot to win this game uh, for Super Bowl 56, I'm going with the underdog in this one. Go with Joe. Go with Joe Cool. And, um, hopefully it turns out that way, but, you know, we'll see if, uh, we'll see what happens on Sunday. It's going to be a great game Two evenly matched uh, teams in this one. And bro, I can't wait for it. I really hey, it's can.
0: like, it's like, we've been saying as long as we get a good game, that's, that's all, all I would. want, man. I want, I want Cincinnati win, but I don't want them to like blow the doors off of it. You know what I'm saying? Like that. That I keep the, referencing the, it. The Broncos, the, the Broncos and Seahawks game. Yeah, like, we all. To eight. Saw that being just like an incredible game. And it just like from jump, dude, was ass. Yeah, I, I mean, don't it, want this to happen.
1: Yeah, if we get like what we had like with the Patriots and the Eagles, granted, you know, the Patriots are my team and they lost that game. But I think everybody was pretty happy about that game from beginning to end just because it was so high scoring. I mean, it's yeah. 41 to 33 when it was all said and done. I mean, even last year's Super Bowl, I don't think was really that competitive just because the Bucks were so dominant against the Chiefs last year. So I mean it was yeah. thirty-one to nine. You know, granted there were some points where it got a little bit close, but it really never anything
0: of serious doubt that the Bucks end, would lose.
1: It didn't end that way, bro. It was yeah when you saw Pat running around for his life pretty much the entire game, Casey was screwed. I always felt bad for the uh, for the Chiefs fans <clears throat> that flew all the way from Casey to go to Tampa just to watch the Chiefs get their ass kicked by the Bucks, spend all those thousands of dollars just to see that team get destroyed by Tampa. That's, it's tough, bro. That's tough.
0: Yeah. And you know, just to kind of touch on that final point, I love how Super Bowl tickets, like the cheapest price is like $4,000. Yeah. They Um, drop,
1: they drop great, great, great job.
0: NFL. It doesn't matter. Like it it doesn't, it doesn't make it possible for a fan like you and I granted, I know you went, but you're a season ticket holder. So there was a little bit of a discount. I'm just saying in general, like, Oh, that's over now. That's over now. but for the NFL in general for that to be your cheapest how do you get an everyday fan to go out and enjoy that i know that majority of people are still going to fill those seats and it's going to be a sold out event but it's like it is geared toward more wealthy people and it does yeah. suck because we're very big football fans right like we we don't have a budget like that $4000 on a ticket bro that's like that's a couple months rent <laughs> that's just crazy to me
1: yeah i mean you have to save up for at least a year or two just to get like one ticket for that, depending on how much you make a year. But I know
0: it goes down, but still it's just, to me, it's, it's a little, it's a little weird, you know?
1: Yeah. It's just, you know, it's in LA it, and LA tickets are always going to be more expensive. It's just the way that it is. But you know, a lot of those people that are, they're going to be at the game. You're going to have a lot of corporate sponsors that are going to buy out seats. So, you know, there's going to be definitely a couple seats that are still going to be cheaper compared to, you know, what you could get on like, you know, box seats or floor seats or whatever. But I think the cheapest one that I saw recently, I think was like three grand. And that was the, basically like just to get in ticket. Yeah. $3,000, bro. That's, that's out of pocket. It's, it's it's too much, but you know, I don't have to worry about it. It's in LA. It's too far for me anyway. I will be, I will gladly sit on my couch and watch that game. So I got no problem with that. But Kev, we, we got some NBA topics to dive into my guy. Boy, I mean, oh, do we! Lot. We got a lot. I, I think it goes without saying that the biggest news to come from the NBA on Thursday was the trade that involved James Harden and Ben Simmons. We got Harden going to the net. Uh, excuse me. We got Harden going to the Sixers. We got Ben Simmons going to the Nets, and that's just the top of the trade. Now, also, the Nets got Seth Curry. And Andre Drummond and there were some tr- draft picks involved in that trade as well really it was the biggest blockbuster trade that took place before the deadline there were some reports kind of conflicting reports about whether or not this trade would go down there was a lot of chatter about this going down from sources like uh, Adrian Wojnowski, uh Brian Windhorse, uh Shams really all of those three were constantly talking about that trade possibly going down the, before the trade deadline That did happen to be the case, and it really kind of shakes up the dynamics of the power structure in the Eastern Conference for the rest of the year. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, who do you think won this blockbuster trade between the Nets and the 76ers involving James Harden and Ben Simmons? It's not even close. It's Brooklyn.
0: And for anybody that thinks it's Philly because they got a top 10 caliber player in this trade, you're out of your mind. We don't know what's going to happen with the relationship between Embiid and Harden is going to be. We know that Harden likes to run a pick-and-roll. We, we know that Harden likes to have the ball in his hands for the majority of the time. philly has been missing a point guard for a while. But, dude, Brooklyn now gets a bona fide shooter in Seth, a bucket. They get a big man to go alongside Claxton and Drummond. Now, Andre Drummond is not the Andre Drummond of the Pistons, but you're still getting a big to solidify the middle of the court on the defensive end which is where they are struggling. And if worse come to worse, at least you're getting a big that can rebound consistently. He doesn't have to put anything out offensively to be consistent. We just need someone to block shots and go out there and grab boards. And then, of course, you're getting Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons already announced that he is reporting to uh, the road trip with Brooklyn to go to Miami, I believe, tomorrow. So if you get uh, a, a consistent ball handling Ben Simmons, you got shooters around him and Seth you got Patty Mills off the bench, you got Blake Griffin, you got LaMarcus Aldridge, and obviously you have Kevin Durant coming back and Kyrie Irving on away games. So the pressure doesn't always have to be on Ben. Ben had to run the guard position. Ben had to run the focal facilitator. Ben can play off the ball. But if need be, Ben can be the point guard. I know that we've shat on Ben Simmons for months now, and I still don't respect the way he left Philadelphia. But overall, if Ben Simmons Simmons can give you 75% of an output – You still got KD out there who's going to get you 30 points a game.
1: Kyrie Irving
0: in half the games that are remaining who can still get you 25 a game. And then, of course, you have good, solidified role players. This is not close. This is not even remotely close. And I think that Ben Simmons getting mentored by a former point guard, one of the greatest point guards in NBA history, I think that he's going to start to warm up to a little bit more of an open relationship with his coach as opposed to being yelled at by Brent Brown. And then Doc Rivers coming in with an attitude or maybe a preempted, uh, you know, like feelings toward Ben Simmons because of what he's heard or how he's reacted. He's got a fresh slate. They're a rival in the Eastern Conference. They play each other March 10th. So a month from today or, you know, 29 days from when you guys hear this or see this tomorrow, they play each other in Philadelphia and Brooklyn. So I think that this genuinely goes all the way to Brooklyn. And, of course, I know it's not relevant because in the NBA – We have talked about this several times, Kyle and I. Draft picks get tossed around like nothing, but you also have to think about it. Brooklyn also got two first round picks. So it's like, who really won this trade? And we can't forget Paul Millsap is in this trade. Oh my God, Paul Millsap is going to the 76ers. He's gonna help them so much. Yo, Paul, no disrespect, bro. You're not what you used to be in the Utah days. You're nowhere near what you used to be in the Atlanta days. It's, I'm sorry, bro you're kind of washed up. So basically the Nets got two first round picks, three players for James Harden. That's Brooklyn all day.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is not is not really even a controversial one to me. This was Brooklyn and it's not even close. So the way that I look at this trade is, well, first of all, depending on how you look at it, Brooklyn gets rid of their head case with James Harden, ships them off to Philly. Now the thing with, Ben Simmons coming into the fold, is he going to bring that same type of drama to Brooklyn that he was kind of known for in Philly for the last couple months and really probably the last year or so? I don't really foresee that to be the case. I think he's going to be able to integrate into that lineup fairly quickly just because I think overall, I think it's going to be a better environment for him to possibly succeed moving forward than it was in Philly. I just think the relationship with the 76ers and Ben just soured to the point where the bridge got burned and there was no rectifying uh, the issues that were at hand going into this season. They hadn't been fixed throughout the season. And I think for Philly, they just had to cut bait and just had to move on from Ben. Now, granted you do bring James Harden into the fold, but he's a head case by himself. So that's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But as far as the nets are concerned, The Nets have a much more well-rounded roster than what they had just a couple days ago. I mean, Kevin, throughout this losing streak that they've been on, they've been getting destroyed. Now, granted, Kevin Durant's been out the last couple weeks with a knee injury, and that hasn't helped. Kyrie's been in and out of the lineup because he can't play in home games. So it's really been left on James Harden's shoulders. And even though that they had been losing games, they were still competitive in some of them. But now I think moving forward, the winning opportunities that they will have at their disposal are going to increase tremendously because now I think they have a better roster. You've got Ben Simmons playing the point guard position. You've got Katie coming back into the lineup within the next week or so. You've got Kyrie in the games that he'll be available for. But the role players here for Brooklyn, I think are going to make the difference in the long run. Just because when you add a shooter like Seth Curry, whether he's coming off the bench or he may even get some starter time every now and then just based on... Availability of guys who are dealing with injuries. Seth can give you 15, 20 points and possibly a 25 point night here and there if he gets his opportunities. I also like the fact that they were able to add some depth to the center position because really Nicholas Claxton and sometimes even Kevin Durant will play that five spot and they're really small at that position. But I like the fact that Brooklyn made that adjustment to get Drummond into the fold and at least they'll have somewhat of a rotation at that five spot moving forward, so at least they won't get out-rebounded to death in the games moving forward. So I think, really, when you look at it, I thought that Philly had a much more well-rounded roster before this trade. Brooklyn didn't, and now it's now it's really flipped, in my opinion. Now I think Brooklyn is in the driver's seat to take over, and I think Philly, despite the fact that they have a good starting five, I mean, they still have guys like Joel Embiid, they will have James Harden, Matisse uh, Danny Green. Those guys will still be in a decent spot in the starter roles, but the back end of their roster is going to be really weak, and that was the issue that I think that Brooklyn was dealing with the last couple months. It's so like I said, now it's slipped. I think Brooklyn's really going to take advantage of it. I think Philly's going to probably, I'm not going to say fall apart at the seams, but I think they're going to take a step back from this trade in this season. And I think overall, I think the Nets are primed to possibly get to one of the top spots in the Eastern Conference towards the end of the season. Granted, these guys have to come back from injury first, like I said with Kevin Durant. But I really do think that once they get everybody into the fold and they're able to lock down the chemistry, I think the Nets are going to look great moving forward. And I think they're going to be right in the mix uh, to get back to not only one of the top spots in the Eastern Conference, I think it kind of reopens the door for them possibly getting to a finals this year. I really see that happening because of this trade that they clearly won, in my opinion.
0: Sorry, guys. I was legitimately yelling at Stabo mid-segment. I apologize. Uh, I don't necessarily know if I agree with Kyle to say that I see them as a finals uh, contender right now. I mean, they have the mesh, like Kyle said. I will say that they have the talent on paper, but we all know what happens when we put – things on paper that look good. Uh, We have to see them play well together. We have to see if KD is able to come back from this injury consistently. We have to see if Kyrie Irving's effect – or should I say Kyrie Irving's availability affects Mm -hmm. the Nets' uh, consistency in the postseason. So there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of moving pieces. But in terms of this trade as a unit, this trade in particular, again, I don't necessarily see Philly as losing completely in terms of like they were bamboozled. But in terms of pieces acquired – Philly definitely lost. Now, can James Harden go and give you 25 and 12 and Joel Embiid give you 30 and 10 and, you know, Tobias Harris give you 15, 5 and 5? Yes, absolutely. But with James Harden doing what he has been doing over the last two seasons alone, I can't trust him as far as I can throw him. I mean, the man has legitimately gone behind his team's back and said specifically to a a media outlet or somebody leaked – That he wanted to be traded to Philadelphia, but he didn't want to report it himself because he didn't want the backlash. My man, you've been in some of the biggest markets in the NBA, in Houston, in Brooklyn, and excuse me, in New York. And now you're going to Philadelphia? Do you think these Mm. fans are tolerating your stupidity? This kind of segues us into our next topic. But it's just when it gets to a point of one player being the focalized point of a trade and not for the right reasons, it rubs me the wrong way.
1: Well, and that's really the point that I think we're going to bring up in this next segment, and that is really the James Harden element of this trade. I mean, this is the second time that he's really kind of forced his way out out of a bad situation, the first one being in Houston, last season going to Brooklyn, and then things kind of soured in Brooklyn, depending on whatever reason he brought up. But he didn't even get through a, a full season with Brooklyn this year and now finds himself with the 76ers essentially getting what he wanted when these trade rumors were coming to fruition the last, I'd probably say the last month or so. They really kind of intensified the last month just because of Harden's feelings about just the current situation with the Nets. Now, Kevin, I'm going to let you have the floor on this one. You've had some thoughts, you've had some feelings about James Harden, the player. And Kevin, just dive into the James Harden element of this trade just simply just because I know you got a lot in your mind when it comes to Harden in this regard.
0: I mean, guys, as you know, I'm the emotional one on the podcast. I'm the one that takes these outlandish, you know, uh, outlooks and takes on a lot of these players and teams, but I'm going out on the limb here and I'm confident in this and not really many people are going to be able to convince me. Otherwise James Harden is the softest player in NBA history, point blank period. James Harden, has, as Kyle said, forced his way out of two situations in which he wanted in both. He was the star in Houston, and he wanted multiple players to come play with him. He had Dwight Howard in his prime. He had CP3. He had freaking Russell Westbrook. What what can you complain about? There's a consistency in a lot of these problems, but that was just in Houston. Oh, also, at the end of it, before he actually dipped and quit on the team, he ended up getting – Granted, an older, you know, more you know, bruised and a lot of mileage John Wall, who ended up playing great last season, and he ended up getting a Boogie Cousins that I thought if kept on the roster with the right personnel and the right coach would have ended up working out well, but it didn't. Boogie gets cut. Anyway, the point I'm trying to get at is James Harden has become a cancer no matter where he goes. James Harden forced his way to Brooklyn last season quit on his team in Houston, and and made it abundantly clear he had no interest in playing in Houston anymore because he did not get his way and they were going through a rebuilding phase, which obviously happened. But at the end of the day, the way he went about that was toxic. You get to Brooklyn, you're playing with a former teammate in Kevin Durant, obviously Kyrie Irving. The sad part is about this trio is they only played a total of 16 games together in the last season and a half. Kind of sucks between KD's injuries, Harden's injuries in the postseason, and obviously Kyrie's vaccination status with the NBA this year, there has been a lot of scrutiny and a lot of issues with this three actually having time on the court together. Now, the worst part about it is when you look at James Harden as an individual, we all know that he can give you triple doubles every night. We all know that he can drop 38 every given night. We all know that he's somebody that brings a presence to the court that you have to double or have to fear because he can go off at any given time. And of course pick your poison when the three of them are on the court together but again you wanted to come to Brooklyn you specifically requested to go and play with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving you knew the situation of having to share the ball with three people unfortunately injuries happen and COVID happened what the fuck do you want them to do about that now you're unhappy with your living situation in Brooklyn now you're unhappy with the fact that Kyrie's not playing because of his vaccination status now you're not happy because the team is losing but you know what <clears throat> Excuse me. I originally wanted to go to Philadelphia before I went to Brooklyn, so I'm just going to go about and leak something to the media to where I want to go to Philadelphia, but I don't want any backlash. What kind of soft shit is that? How do you publicly leak or somebody in your camp leak that you want to get up out of here, but you don't want to be backlashed? Do you know basketball? The Mecca, the, 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 the greatest city in the world in New York? Now, whether or not it's Manhattan or Brooklyn or Queens, it makes no goddamn difference. You were in the state of New York. You represent the people of New York. Now, I don't know what fans are in Brooklyn, but the point of the matter is, you are still playing for a professional team in New York City, and this is what you say. You really think you're not going to get backlash for being basically a coward? Uh, 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 you know, I'm trying to be professional here and not use a lot of curse words, but it's like, what other words can you use? You ran away from adversity when Houston was doing a rebuild. You ran away from adversity when, when Brooklyn started to lose. What happens if Philly starts to struggle? What happens if you and Joel Embiid don't get along? What happens if you and Dot River clash because of headstrong personalities? You really think it's much better in, 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 in Philly? Are you serious? Philly lost in the second round last year. You lost in the second round last year. Like, what's the difference? It's the same thing. If anything, you just walked away from two NBA future Hall of Famers, and now all you have is Joel Embiid. No disrespect to him, but I'm not not sure he's going to be able to carry Philadelphia to the promised land. Do you get better, potentially, as a team in Philly because you add James Harden? Maybe. Similar to the Brooklyn thing, on paper, you get better at the guard position, somewhat to consistently facilitate, but once again... James Harden is the issue here. There's a reason why all of these players, after they leave playing with him or after he departs, get better. Chris Paul, popping the fuck off in in Phoenix. Russell Westbrook's the only outlier here because, well, technically Russell ended up going to Washington last year. So technically he did pop off last year when he left uh, Houston. And so on and so on and so forth. Dwight Howard won an NBA championship when he left Houston. Uh, Granted, a long time later afterwards, but still it came to the point when James Harden is not around, teams do better. James Harden is the focal point here. And I'm tired of all of these people saying it's better for James or I feel bad for James. No, you're the reason your team struggle. You're the reason you're a distraction in the locker room. And you're the reason why the media is consistently focalizing on your teams for negative reasons. Now you're bringing a drama into Philadelphia who just traded a drama away. So in essence, you're trading two divas to the opposite side. And one of them has been in the media for the last three seasons, arguably, for the wrong reason. Ben Simmons doesn't want to shoot a basketball. That is easily fixable if, with, if and when he decides to shoot. You just complain about everything that happens to you when you're the one that puts yourself in the situation that you're in. I got no remorse for James Harden. I never liked the way that he played. I never appreciated or respected how he was the person that always found a way to get to the free throw line. Thank God the rules changed. And now you've just added a whole different dynamic to your personality and your resume. In my eyes, James Harden is the softest player in NBA history, and it's not even close.
1: I mean, I don't know if I'm going to be that fierce about James Harden, but I will say this. I think what he did to Houston last year I think was far worse than what he did in this Brooklyn move. Now, granted, you're looking at it from from two different angles. Like at least this one, like there was this growing issue that was coming up about him getting traded, whether he was going to bring it up uh, publicly or not. You, you can make a point of like, yeah, I didn't like the fact that he was pretty much leaking this probably behind the scenes. And then it was kind of getting out um, into the public sphere about him wanting to leave Brooklyn. But the way that he disrespected Houston on the way, I, I, I really kind of find that hard to believe even a year and a half later, after it happened, because I mean, Kevin, at, at least like when James Harden showed up for the season, he was somewhat in shape. He didn't come into the season last year, like like last year, where he looked like he was like twenty five pounds overweight. I mean, for God's sakes, I'll never forget when he showed up to one of those games, like it was the first game I think he showed up for season. He looked like freaking job of the hut out there. I mean, it's one thing to be a little bit out of shape coming into the season. But the way that he did with Houston, that's unforgivable. Had I been the coach of the Rockets last year and I saw James in that type of playing shape, I'd be like, dude, get off the court. I'm like, you don't want to be here. I'm like, get off the court. I'm like, you are not ready. You are not in game shape. And that's going to jeopardize just the structure of the team based off of, you know, essentially the leader basically showing everybody the middle finger to the organization saying, I don't want to be here. I'm going to show up 25 pounds overweight. And if they got a problem with it, trade me. Like it's really that type of mindset. It's like really when you look at this from a bigger perspective, these players get what they want. If they want to leave, they'll get what they want. And sometimes I'm of the mindset, depending on what type of person that you're dealing with. If they're going to make that big of a scene, or if they're gonna bring that much drama into the fold for the team, they gotta be punished for that for to a certain extent. That's why, like, for the last couple of months or so, we were talking about the whole Ben Simmons drama in Philly, that like we brought up the idea of possibly sending him to Detroit or sending him to Sacramento. Just because, you know, those are places that, to be honest with you, are like black holes in the NBA. I'm like, if you're going to cause that much drama and start that much controversy, I'm going to give you what you want, but you're going to suffer because of it. I'm going to send you to a shit team and you can stew over there for the next couple of years until you rectify the situation with yourself personally. I mean, for James, he got what he wanted in the situation. He goes to Philly. He gets to play with Joel Embiid. I don't know if it's going to change that dramatically moving forward for James because no matter what happens, I mean... I imagine the guy probably wants to play for an NBA championship one day. But to me, I think that there are other things that James has got going on in the background that I think are bigger priority for him right now than really playing and trying to win an NBA title. I mean, he'll go out there for the check and he'll go out there and drop 25, 30 points if need be. But it's just to me, the way that James has gone about these situations the last couple of years, it's not only been petty, it's been utterly disrespectful. I still think that to me personally, I think what he did to Houston was a much bigger disservice to what he did with Brooklyn. Because Brooklyn, he was only there for a year and a half. Yeah, Houston, but he, it's 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 he, the
0: way he went about it both times. I, I, he, I, I, he, st- wanted, st- he wanted to go to Brooklyn, I, and he gave up on them.
1: I, I, I'm fully aware of that, but I guess the part that I have to keep in mind is he was in Houston for over five years. He was there for a while. And Granted, I know they didn't win a title during his tenure there, but to leave on that type of accord, in that petty of a fashion, man, I, I, I can't stand for that. I hey, can't tolerate that.
0: I'm not saying that the Houston one was bad. I'm not, bad. T- I mean, I'm not
1: tolerating bad. what he did in Brooklyn. I, I think that you can make a case for either or, but it really just kind of is the same thing. It's like it's more of the same from James. James is going to be petty. James is going to get what he wants, and he will stir drama and controversy to get what he wants. And that's really kind of the unfortunate thing is that there's really no repercussions for the players individually if they go out and do some of these outlandish things, like stirring up controversy, like stirring up drama. I just I don't tolerate that, but in the NBA, they kind of let that thing go. And that's kind of one of the things that I have an issue with with player empowerment is that players will use that empowerment and they use it for toxic things. James is kind of one of those examples. And James is a great basketball player. Like I can't deny that the guy is a very good basketball player, but the way that he's forced himself out of these situations in Houston and Brooklyn, I can't tolerate that. I'm sorry. You know, I know maybe people may feel a different way about it, but that's how I see it. Dude. It just,
0: like I said, man, it, it, it grinds my gears. Because at the end of the day, I'm looking at this and I'm saying all of these players nowadays have too much power. All of these players have too much influence to have an entire organization, billion-dollar organizations, in the palm of their hand to say, if you don't give me what I want, I'm going to make your lives a living hell in the media and I'm not giving you my all on the court. And that's going to affect your your overall income over the next couple of games until I'm out of here. So I'm just saying – What he did in Houston was wrong, what it was way worse, how he went about it was bad. But how you go all the way into Brooklyn, force your way into it, you and KD cool, you and KD hype, to where now y'all not even on talking terms from what I'm understanding because I'm not even laughing. I don't know if you guys saw the LeBron and KD draft for the All-Star teams. James Harden was the last pick player, and I'm pretty sure Braun didn't even want him on the team. And KD sure as shit didn't want him. Like, he picked Rudy Gobert over James Harden. Mm -hmm. So I'm just saying the league is looking at you, Shady. And I guarantee you that 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 KD relationship, that Kyrie relationship, whatever connection you have with anybody on that team, it's a wrap, bro. You are burning bridges everywhere you go, and you have burned plenty of relationships. You crossed Chris Paul and you got him out. You brought Russell, you crossed him, and you got him shipped off to Washington. You got Dwight Howard in the prime of his career years back, and he was averaging a double-double and cooking with you. And the second he was taking looks away, you got him the fuck out too. I'm just saying, James Harden is really, really becoming that type of person that whoever plays with him gets shipped out somewhere, and that's just not something that NBA players are really going to start to fuck with, bro.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, really, like the writing's on the wall here. I think pretty much everybody knows what James is at this point, and, and, that, and, and that's the thing. Kevin, you're disgusted. What's going on?
0: Reggie Wayne's not in the Hall of Fame again.
1: Oh boy, oh boy,
0: oh, oh boy! Insane, bro. The Hall of Fame class came out. That's that's crazy, bro. How? The...
1: He'll get in, bro. He'll get
0: in. We got other stuff to talk about. I'm not even gonna go into that one. That's absolutely fucking ridiculous, bro.
1: He'll get in, bro. He'll get in. Trapped he wasn't. He'll get in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe not be as soon as you wanted it to, but he'll get in. He's too good not to be in it, for God's sakes. So (laughs) Anyway. But but with that said, um, I really kind of hate to really pile on for all the negative uh, emotions that Kevin is going through at this current moment in time. But we do have to bring up another trade that happened on Thursday. And that is Kristaps Porzingis being traded to the Washington Wizards. So Porzingis gets sent to Washington in exchange for Davis Bertans and Spencer Dinwiddie. So now when you look at it, KP goes to Washington. You got Bertans and Dinwiddie replacing him in Dallas. Kevin, I got to ask you, as a Mavericks fan, does trading Chris S. Porzingis for Davis Bertans and Spencer Dinwiddie help the Mavs moving forward, or does it hurt them moving forward? Bro, this is stupid.
0: This trade makes no sense to me. I give no fucks how this comes across to any Mavericks fans on the earth. Kristaps Porzingis has not been playing because of injury as of late. I get it. Kristaps Porzingis availability over the last three seasons has been shaky at best. I get it. The one playoff series that he did play in when he was healthy, he played like shit. Because in the bubble, he played two games and then he tore his meniscus. So technically, you know what I'm saying, those two games were skewed because he ended up tearing his, his meniscus in the second game. Why we, we we get rid of a rim protector when we have nobody to back him up? We have Dwight Powell, Maxi Kleba, and Boban Marjanovic. And, of course, you know, we have Marquise Chris, but he's a shorter kind of like small rotational big. He's like 6'9", 6'10", something like that. He's a little bit more of a high flyer like Dwight. Not known for his defense. Dwight Powell is softer than a fucking bag of Charmin. Maxi Kleba has been battling his own injuries and is turning 31 next year. Why in God's name we go and trade our seven foot three rim protecting center for another guard and a guy that's having a career worst shooting year for a, a, a sharpshooter that we acquired and, and, and Davis Bertans? Why 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 do this? Oh, it may be to alleviate some cap stress because Christoph Porzingis is owed over hundred million dollars in the next three seasons. The two of these contracts combined are more than what we owe KP. Oh, I forgot. We signed Tim Hardaway Jr. this offseason. So when he comes back, we're going to have Spencer Dinwiddie, Luka Doncic, Trey Burke, fucking the, 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 uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. Like, what are we doing here? We're going to have a fuck ton of guards for absolutely no reason. Spencer Dinwiddie's owed basically like $60 million over the last three years. Bertansk is owed over 55. Like, what? Are you kidding me? Spencer Dinwiddie's shooting 37% from the field this year. Like, what, like, Bertoltz is shooting 30% from three this year. We acquired a sharpshooter that's shooting under 35%. Luka Doncic is shooting better from three this season. Are you, like, are we hitting? Like, Nico, I get what you're doing. And by Nico, I mean Nico Harrison, our new GM. Like, I understand, Mark, you need to add some depth to the bench. You don't go about doing it this way. I understand we need to have somebody to score when Luka is off the floor. I understand that we need to surround Luka with more shooters. Reggie Bullock has been coming on very well. The Sterling Brown signing did not pan out very good. Josh Green is not the most consistent shooter in the world at the young age that he is. But you do not go and trade our second best player for trash. We also gave up a second round pick. Again, I, I you know what? I retract the statement. They're not trash. Well, Dinwiddie's not trash. We all know that Bratonski is legitimately only known for shooting. But this to me just makes no sense if you would have told me spencer dinwiddie and montrez harrell i would have accepted it better because trez would have been the enforcer trez gets rebounds. trez gives you energy he gives you that that physicality that you need on a team he's not tall like a Kristaps. he's not a shot blocker like Kristaps. but he would have given the mavs an edgier player as opposed to another foreign player another shooter that luka needs to pass out to that we shoot too much as it is in terms of shooting threes per game. So you're telling me that this was the best trade that we could have gotten for Kristaps Porzingis? You're telling me that with him having uh, his best season with us statistically outside of maybe three-point shot percentage, that Spencer Dinwiddie and, and, and Davis Bertansk were the best that we could get? I mean, Dinwiddie's averaging 12 points per game. Bertansk is averaging 5.75! Like, what are we doing? The two of those points aren't even KP's total points. And you're losing a rim protector. Like, this makes no sense. We're building for the future? How? We're paying them more money. Dinwiddie's coming off a fucking Achilles or an ACL or whatever the hell he got hurt with last season. So are we really getting any better with replacing injuries? Bertansk has only played 34 games out of 50-something this year. That's less games than KP. Like, come on, bro. This boggles the fuck out of my mind. KP's 25-26, Dinwiddie's 28, and Bertansk is 29, turning fucking 30. None of this makes sense. Like, from the bottom of my soul, this does not make sense at all. I'm not happy about it. And if you think this makes us better, I think you're out of your fucking mind.
1: Tough one to swallow, my guy. Trust me, I know. And When I saw this trade take place, I'm going to be honest with you. The first reaction that I had when I heard that KP uh, was going to the Wizards, it was ew. Just, I didn't like this move any way, shape, or form. Now, granted, I do kind of understand the idea of trading him simply because Kristaps Porzingis' health is not something that you can rely on. And that has been one of his unfortunate side marks to his career is that he has a checkered history when it comes to being healthy predominantly throughout most of the season. Now, I don't have an issue with the idea of trading him. It's just how they went about it. And I don't think that adding Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans is going to be the solution to essentially put Dallas in like a top four, top five seed in the Western Conference playoffs this year. I don't really see that happening. I think, like you said, had they added maybe somebody like Montrezl Harrell into the mix to add more of a defensive presence to that team and also bring a level of grit to that team, because I do think that's one element that the Mavs do miss, is that they miss some of that intensity that someone like Tyson Chandler used to bring in the early 2010s. Then I could possibly see that type of scenario working out in favor for Dallas. But with the way that I see it, I think Dallas shot themselves in the foot on this one, specifically with this trade. I do like the fact that they did resign. Who was it? They uh, resigned Dorian. Dorian Finney-Smith. I did like that. Very much needed. I think that that was a good move for them. But I think that they missed the mark on this one with this trade. Listen, if you wanted to trade KP... I can understand it in theory, but you, it has to be executed properly. And I think in this one, I I don't think it's going to work out in the long run. And it's like you stated, they're going to pay more money with Bertans and Dinwiddie over the next three years compared to Porzingis.
0: Granted, it's only Przing- like a million and some change. It, but but, but, it, but it's like they're, it's not, they're not
1: saving anything with exactly. this move. Exactly. And, that's, and that's the point is is it worth it to bring on two guys who in one case has a checkered injury history as well with Spencer Dinwiddie and somebody like Davis Bertans who has played good in spurts, but it's not something that you could really rely on moving forward. At least Porzingis has shown that he could be a top flight, a top flight player in the NBA. It's just the injuries always come into the fold with him. So you never really know what you're going to get long-term with KP, but yeah, the idea I'm okay with in theory. I just think it was just executed poorly. And that's what it really comes down to. So I think Dallas, I think they're going to take a step back in this one. Unfortunately, I know that probably doesn't make you happy in any way, shape or form, but you know, really probably the only bright side or the, the only silver lining that I can kind of pull from this whole uh, trade deadline situation with Dallas is that they were able to resign Dorian Finney Smith to an extension. So I guess you kind of have to give them a little bit of a, I guess a check mark or a thumbs up in that regard. But yeah, I, I didn't like this KP move. I, I didn't like it.
0: This this trade to me is similar to the trade last year, except last year we didn't give up a big piece. Last year we traded James Johnson and Wesley Owenau and something else to get JJ Redick in his old ass age, who only played like six games with us, maybe less. And then Nico Meli. Two shooters, right? We we wanted to surround Luca with shooters. We wanted to surround him with something. The preference is we traded for a guard and a forward last year. Didn't fucking work. Granted, JJ Redick is not Spencer Dinwiddie, but it's the point. Why the fuck we do this every year and it never pans out? Like it just. And then obviously the year before that, we got Porzingis or acquired Porzingis and for for a boatload of different pieces that aren't even on the Knicks anymore, so the fact that Knicks fans are laughing, saying we told you so, we won the trade. You guys are the bottom of the Eastern Conference, and you have none of the pieces that we gave you that day, but we still have Tim Hardaway Jr. averaging 14 points per game. So those 14 points are more than anybody we traded you and your shitty draft picks. Kudos on you. Anyway, back to relevant basketball news. There was a whole lot more in the NBA that has happened today. So let us get the spotlight off my damn face, because I've given myself enough of fucking headache for the night
1: yeah I mean I mean I have some of the other trades on my phone right here um I mean we've already talked about the Harden one we talked about the Benson I haven't trade. Put
0: him, I have them pulled up on the computer if you want me to run through them,
1: yeah I mean I was gonna mention uh Serge Ibaka went to the Bucks you got Dennis Schroeder going to Houston you could pretty much take it away from here those are just the two that I wanted to mention real quick but go yeah, ahead
0: Montrezl Harrell goes to Charlotte uh Washington gets Ish Smith and Vernon Carey Jr. And then you obviously have Derek White goes to Boston for Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford, and a 2022 top four protected first-round pick. So that is huge. I didn't know Derek White was worth all that shit. But you know what? Uh, you know San Antonio walks away with a pretty good fucking uh, haul there. There was a four-team trade. Kyle already referenced one of them. The Detroit Pistons get Marvin Bagley. The Clippers get Rodney Hood and Semi Ojalee. The Bucs received Serge Ibaka, a 2022 second round pick from Detroit, and then a 2024 second round pick from Detroit as well, but that was from Sacramento. And then Sacramento receives Dante DiVincenzo, Josh Jackson, and Trey Lyles. So there are a couple of other picks here, you know, obviously just some smaller ones, but a whole lot happened today. And I mean, like, good God, I have not seen an active trade deadline like this in quite some time. Mm -hmm. I would say the last one that I want to mention. Is Goran Dragic gets traded to San Antonio for Thaddeus Young, but Goran Dragic is going to presumptively get bought out by the Spurs. But we all know how the Spurs organization works. I don't see them buying him out anytime soon, knowing that he is favored to land in Dallas, which again is another fucking signing. It's going to give us another guard at the age of 36, which makes no sense when Luca's a ball-dominant guard already. But it's Fine, because I must know nothing about basketball because we're just going to continue to sign fucking European players that don't fucking help. So, yes, we'll see what happens with Goran Dragic, but Daddy S. Young ends up going to Toronto, which is a playoff contending team right now in the Eastern Conference, so at least he'll play for a contender.
1: And then we had the uh, the trades the other day. Granted, we didn't talk about these uh, when they went down, but you got Sabonis going out to Sacramento. You got Tyrese Halliburton go to Indiana. Really, I mean, I mean, Sacramento, I don't really know what they were thinking about with those trade options just because they had some good young pieces to work around and they ended up shipping off. trade made them no off.
0: sense. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I,
1: I mean no it's a bonus is going to be out there in a black hole for a good little minute. I mean, if he can find a situation to get out of Sacramento, he better find it quick. That trade, that I'm going to say it again. That trade made no sense. And then they had Marvin Bagley Ooh. shipped off too. Man, they just wanted to get everybody out.
0: Dude, they got rid of arguably two of their best players outside of Harrison Barnes
1: for Zabonis. And, and I forgot, player. and I forgot Buddy Hield was in the trade too.
0: Exactly. They got they got Sabonis, Justin Holiday, and Jeremy Lamb and a second round pick. Not just any second round pick, a projected pick between the 56th and 60th
1: pick. So the Kings Yikes. really Yikes.
0: won this trade. The Kings are bro, still a
1: black hole and they always will be. It's just bro, ridiculous. Bro, 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 they might be, I don't know if the it's worst like a, franchise. I was going to say, well, not only the worst franchise like in the NBA, I think they're starting to make a case that they're one of the worst franchises like across the North American sports, professional sports, excuse me, because, they draft bro, bad, bro, bro, they bro. trade horrible. Ever since those Chris Webber, Vladdy Divac days, they've been, Irrelevant, like irrelevant. I think the only person that I could think of that was relevant within like recent memory was I think Tyreek Evans. Remember when he hit like that Marcus game. Cousins? Oh yeah, I did forget about that. Baller, Damn. he was kind of nice there. I wasn't um, wasn't Isaiah Thomas there for a little bit there too? Yeah, he was drafted in the I think like the 60th pick, 50 something pick. Yeah, yeah. Boogie was actually nice there for a little bit, but I mean, the Kings didn't bro, do that's anything. Bro, that's when he popped off, yo. That's yeah, when he was, like, any,
0: they, pulling they threes any, and shit. They didn't do anything. Well, he was the only person on the fucking team. <laughs> that's when they yeah. were drafting all bigs. They still I mean, are they, drafting fucking bigs.
1: They hit a big with him, but they didn't do anything with it, so. Oh, well. But, you know, that's just really the nature of the Kings, bro. They just know how to... They're, it's really really what they do is the antithesis of what their name actually is. It's, because they certainly don't, they they don't play like them, and they certainly don't tr- like draft or trade well like Kings. So, no, the down not even bad, close. down bad, bro. But Kevin, we gotta talk about my team for a little bit. That's fine with me. Kevin, Kyle, the Lakers. They're not Kyle. They're not and listen, good. Listen, not listen, good. listen, 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 no, listen, listen. it's not good. <laughs> it's not good.
0: <laughs> listen. We have been in the news for a lot of bad shit over the last couple of years. Missing the playoffs, bad trades, bad free agent signings, injuries. I mean, for God's sakes, the, the Mavs have been the laughing stock, at least out of our two teams, for a long time. You guys won a championship a few years back. You guys have one of the best players in the NBA. But this season seems to be falling to shambles. Now, with the All-Star game approaching, And the narrative of Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson, Russell Westbrook getting traded now being gone because the trade deadline has come and gone. I ask you, is there any way the Lakers can right the ship in the second half of the season?
1: Kevin, I I really want to be the optimist here and say yes. I just don't see it. I really don't. And granted, the Lakers, they've been an up and down team the entire year. But this year, I just don't think it's going to work out for them in the long term. Because when I look at the current state of the Lakers, brother's are just old. There's no other way to say this. And I know a lot of people have been criticizing Russell Westbrook for his recent play and how bad that he's been. The fact that he can't shoot. The fact that he's sometimes hitting the top of the backboard with his shots or that he's turning the ball over too consistently. Like, I, I do think that Russell deserves a lot of criticism for his incompetent play. Really the last month or so. But I got to be honest here. For a second. I think we got to hold LeBron James's feet to the fire. For this season in particular. Because. When I look at LeBron James. LeBron James has been playing pretty solid this year. And I don't think anybody's criticizing his level of play. Despite the fact that he's in. What like year 18. He's damn near 38 years old. He's playing pretty good. But the problem is is that LeBron was responsible for bringing the current cachet of players that they currently have on the roster into the fold for this season. They brought back a lot of veteran pieces to the team. They brought back Dwight Howard. They brought back Trevor Ariza. They brought Russell Westbrook into the fold. They brought Carmelo Anthony into the fold. I mean, if you look at this roster on paper, this would have been like a God squad back in 2012, but it's 2022. This is not 2012. And a lot of these guys are reaching the end of their careers. But LeBron was the one that was pulling all the strings behind the scenes. And I know a lot of people are criticizing Rob Palinka for the general manager role that he's been doing this past season. Granted, he's doing the official transactions. But if I'm looking at this objectively, LeBron is the main factor at play here. Because you can't tell me that Braun isn't in the back basically saying, hey guys, Like, let's say for the example, like when he called Russ during the offseason, it's like, hey, we got a pretty good situation out here. Love to get you into the fold. See if we can make a uh, title run possible. I mean, he's making those types of conversations all the time with players to come into LA for trying to get a title. And he did that not only with Russell Westbrook, did it with Carmelo, did it with Dwight, did it with a boatload of other players that they brought on for the season. And look where it's ended up. They are 26-30. and They just lost to the Blazers in an abysmal loss a couple days ago. They got destroyed by the Milwaukee Bucks a couple nights earlier where it got so bad. During the fourth quarter, the Bucks players on the bench were hitting gritties pretty much the entire fourth quarter having the time of their lives while the Lakers were getting thrashed by 20-25 points. I mean, I think at one point, I think the Lakers were down 30 in that game And Giannis ended up dropping like 44 in that game against the Lakers. The Lakers are just not a competitive team right now. And the fact of the matter is, is that when you have a roster that is this old with guys in their mid to late thirties, they can't carry the weight of a team like they could back in their, I'd say their mid twenties, late twenties, even early thirties. The primes of their careers are gone. LeBron is not even in, in, in the prime of his career anymore, even though he's still playing well. But there's no way that with the way that this roster is assembled, that this team is going to get to a finals. It's not even going to happen. They'd be lucky to even get out of the first round of the playoffs with the way that they've been playing the last couple of weeks or so. So there's a lot of different angles that you could take with the Lakers season this year. I know a lot of people are really shitting on Russell Westbrook, and he does deserve criticism in this one. But I'm going to be honest here. It's really LeBron James who deserves the most criticism because he was the one that brought these players into the fold. He was the one that was making the pitches for these guys to go for another title run and look where it's ended up. And to me, I know LeBron isn't the official GM for the Lakers, but he's acting as basically the de facto GM, because he's really one pulling the strings behind the scenes and trying to make things happen. And it's ended in catastrophe. It's ended in disaster. And to be quite honest with you, I think it's going to result in possibly the Lakers not making the playoffs, Russell's going to be gone after this season, and Rob Polinka's probably going to get fired. And I wouldn't even be surprised if this was LeBron's last year with the Lakers, because I don't even know if he's going to resign with them, because the Lakers look like a tire fire right now. And in the second half of the season, could it get better? Possibly. But with this old ass lineup, I can't see it, bro. I really can't. And that's just, it's just really an unfortunate state for the Lakers. There's no other way to say it.
0: Yeah, you guys are in a preemptuous situation. It's, it's kind of creepy, actually, to, to see you guys go from championship to relatively keeping the same roster the next season and you know, kind of falling apart with injuries. And then the next year, you, just, you have a whole different team and you have a whole bunch of former All-Stars and former MVPs. And then you look at it and you just say, well, damn, how the hell did we get this bad? So, I don't necessarily know what's going to happen with you guys. I don't know how you would be able to turn this around. I definitely thought if any team was going to be active via the trade deadline, it would have been been you guys. Because, let's be honest, you fucking need it. Um, It Russell Westbrook, uh, there were rumors circulating that Russell Westbrook was offered a couple of different times to different teams and packages, like...
1: Well, yeah. I don't know. I mean, the Knicks
0: one was the one that stood out the most, well, the New well, York decline.
1: There were two main ones. The one was with Cam Reddish. Really, do you think Cam Reddish is going to make that big of an impact for the Lakers moving forward? I mean, granted, he would bring some youth into the fold. He would play but... more. <laughs> is he going to be a difference maker? Oh. No. Now, there was another report that I saw that the Lakers were offered John Wall in a first-round pick from Houston, but the Lakers declined that offer, and that offer included Russell Westbrook going back to Houston. Which I can't believe Houston would actually try to make that move, seeing how Russell's played this year. I, I can't believe they actually put that offer on the table.
0: Well, but, he would be the focal point where he was not in Houston the first time. So he would be a superstar I, by himself. I feel like they feel like he would be able to turn that rebuild around.
1: Honestly, Houston would be doing L.A. a solid if they ended up doing that. 100%. But L.A. But LA declined. L.A. declined. And it was probably because they didn't feel like they were getting enough back for Russ. That's probably what they felt.
0: I mean, more Kevin, than likely.
1: But but we talked about this. This was even before the season started. We talked about the Lakers. They looked great on paper. But when you put them out in the court, was not going to translate into success? We were both skeptical about that. And it's very rare that I kind of like bring things up like this because Kevin and I both like agreed that we saw these ro- we saw this roster being constructed and it just wasn't going to work out in the long run.
0: Aaron Rodgers wins MVP for the second consecutive year. Yeah. Very
1: nice. Very nice. Very nice. It's probably the most inconsequential NFL MVP I've ever seen. But my boy Tom didn't get it, but it's all right. It is what it is. Fine. Yeah.
0: I just thought I'd let you know. I came right down. I was like, oh, shit.
1: But no, just the way that this Lakers roster is assembled. No. Bro, they're just old. Yeah, they just, they, I don't they know. Don't, they I don't, don't, I don't have
0: think Ron it. can leave next year. It's not a player option. I don't think. I think he signed through next season.
1: If he signed through next season, well, isn't this technically yeah. his? Isn't this technically his fourth year on the deal? He
0: got the uh, extension last year. Right? Oh, I remember he oh, signed okay. a two-year extension. Okay. I, Two years, eighty-five million dollars. So he's got forty-one million this year, I, forty-four next year.
1: Because I I remember the original deal was a four year deal. I think it was, yeah, like it a, was. I think it was like a what, 160 million dollars was the original one, something like Some, that. Yeah, something like that. I'm I maybe getting the, the figure wrong there, but it's just with the the Lakers right now, it's it's not good. And, and honestly, nope. and honestly, here's the thing. I know a lot of people may criticize Frank Vogel with the way that he's coached here. Honestly, I do not think he's the problem here. I think it is largely on the shoulders of Rob Polinka and LeBron. Because they brought these guys in. And to be quite honest with you, Frank is not working with necessarily the cream of the crop here. These guys are reaching the end of their respective careers. And honestly, Frank could get the shaft because of it. And I think he was, the, I honestly, I think Braun and Rob are probably the main two culprits here. I don't really think Frank's the issue.
0: I would get, agree. It's it's funny because Braun's been doing this his whole career, especially in Cleveland. That, exactly. Yeah, well, especially in Cleveland. He was just like, you know what? I'm tired of your shit. You're out of here. I want this guy. Get in here. And it's and, like he's been doing this for so long that it's just like and, and, and it's and finally the, come,
1: and, come apart. And the one thing that I, I think that when we look back at LeBron's career, granted, you know, we'll always go over the – the crowning achievements that he had, you know, winning four titles, winning the MVPs, winning finals MVPs. You know, I think that goes without being said. But the thing that LeBron has been responsible for that doesn't get talked about a lot is that essentially, like this is like a rental team that he's constructed essentially every year since he went to Miami. So you could basically say for the last 10 to 12 years that essentially they just... Okay, we look at the board, uh, we look at these free agents. I'm like, who can we pick? I'm like, let's get this guy, let's get this guy, let's get this guy. Let's put him on for a one-year deal and see if we can make it work to get a title run. And then once we hit like a four-year window, uh, all right, we'll switch teams, go to a different city, and try to essentially do the same thing, just in a different city and see if we can make it work. I mean, it's really almost kind of like a mercenary, it's almost like a mercenary style of assembling a team. Because you're just kind of like picking and choosing. Like, okay, like we're good. This guy, this guy, this guy. We're going to throw him into the fold. We'll see what happens. And, you know, hope for the best. It's not like building a team from the ground up and forming a roster that's going to provide you potential success for the next 10 to 15 years. I mean, look at Golden State. Golden State had Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green. Those guys came together as a cohesive unit and are still on the same team 10 years later. 10 plus years later now. You look at San Antonio, what they had with Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manny Ginobili. Those guys were the focal part of that team when they were winning titles. Kobe Kobe was drafted, but Shaq wasn't. But Shaq was there for a decent amount of time where they were responsible for a lot of success. LeBron LeBron just goes to a new city and then he'll just hit up guys in the offseason saying, hey, let's get you in. We got a chance to go for a title this year. Let's make it happen. It's really kind of like it's like it's really kind of like constructing like a, a puzzle piece, like during the offseason, and hopefully it works out. Hopefully it does. It's but like it's putting
0: not, a band-aid in a lot of situations, trying to fix little things from the first half, bring some people in from the trade market. Hopefully it pans out. And you know, if it doesn't, it doesn't. It, and if it, it does, it looks but, like a genius.
1: But it's not an effective way of building a team. It's just, these know. are just rentals. And that's the problem. And that's really going to be, that's going to be one of the things that I'm going to look back on LeBron James's career. I'm like, great player. Top five player of all time. But the problem is, is that wherever he went, it was like a rental team. And that's a problem. Because that's not a way that you win championships. Because you may win championships here and there, but it's not long-term success. It's short-term. Three or four years and that's it. That's yeah. That's all it is. And you know, but you look at Golden State, Golden State's had their championship window open for the last the last what seven, eight years. You know, the one year Pretty they much. you know, they had one year where they, you know, shit the bed because they didn't have anybody, just guys were hurt. But I mean, they've really kind of held their own this entire time. LeBron's really kind of had to struggle to kind of maintain that wherever he's gone. Granted, he did win in Cleveland, he did win with the Lakers. But it's not consistent, and that's the problem. I mean, he'll get to the finals. He'll get to the finals, but just the way that that he went about it, there's there's a level of criticism that could be uh, thrown his way because of that. That's just how I look at it.
0: You're not wrong. I mean, at the end of the day, his legacy will go down as one of the best players to ever do it. But like you said, his forcible and questionable GM tactics have been – Interesting, to say the least, throughout his 18-year career. So we'll leave it at that because we know that we can both go on individual rants for a while on both our teams. So um, we do have some interesting news. Not really interesting, but we do have some news in the NBA to kind of close it out as one of our final topics, and that is the NBA All-Star teams have finally been decided between Team Durant and Team LeBron. So going in order from Team LeBron, his starters will be Santa Antetokounmpo, Steph Curry, DeMar DeRozan, LeBron James, and Nikola Jokic. His reserves will be Jimmy Butler, Luka Doncic, Darius Garland, James Harden, Donovan Mitchell, Chris Paul, and Fred Van Fleet. That by itself is a bomb squad. Like I don't give a shit what KD drafted. It's like not close because this team, that starting five by itself is scary. Now, rolling over to team Durant. Obviously, Kevin Durant was supposed to be the starter, but with him being injured, he has been replaced by Jason Tatum. So it is Jason Tatum, Joel Embiid, John Morant, Andrew Wiggins, and Trey Young. His reserves, LaMelo Ball, Devin Booker, Rudy Gobert, Zach Levine, Chris Middleton, DeJounte Murray, and Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, the team's... Aren't even even as per usual. Braun always finds a way to get the best of the best. I don't know how. Like Andrew Wiggins and I guess maybe Ja Morant being the questionable players on this team just because, you know, Ja doesn't have a lot of all star experience. But at the same time, we've seen Trey pull from the logo and whatnot. No disrespect to Ja's season, but like that is a. That's kind of like a small team as opposed to. Team Braun being like a tower over there with Jokic, Braun, Giannis, like that's absolutely ridiculous. But, I mean, Kyle, I know this isn't necessarily a full-on segment or a question, but just based off the lineups, who do you think is going to win this? Team Braun, Team Durant?
1: I mean, it's Braun. I mean, honestly, (laughs) you know, depending on how the game goes, you know, if it gets close to the end, you know, that'll be fine with me. Because, I mean, Kevin, we pretty much expect, you know, the first three quarters, there's going to be no defense played whatsoever. And then probably the last three to four minutes of the fourth quarter, they'll turn up the intensity a little bit. They'll try to play somewhat competitive basketball when it counts at the end. But I mean, with the way that that roster is constructed with LeBron, I mean, that's going to be difficult to handle if you're a uh, team Durant. It just, I, I don't really see it happening, but I think the funniest thing out of the whole discussion about this all star lineup, uh, topic was, It came down to James Harden and Rudy Gobert and Kevin Durant was picking uh, the second to last pick and he went with Rudy Gobert over James Harden. That tells you everything about Kevin Durant's relationship with James Harden at this current moment in time. It's burned. It's burned to a crisp. And I know that they were probably boys back in the OKC days. They tried to rekindle some sort of working Relationship in Brooklyn, and it failed miserably. And with the way that James forced himself out of Brooklyn, I mean, how do you rectify some sort of situation like that? You can't. So trust me, I understood where, what Kevin felt uh, when picking Rudy Gobert over James Harden, and it was funny. Just Bron's reaction to the whole thing. I think he put like a clipboard over. He his put face. The clipboard
0: in front of this. Uh,
1: that that was hysterical. And it's you know the, the funny thing is. I, it, it, Katie was trying to be slick about it by not really trying to show like any like facial expressions when saying that but it's like bro it's like we know what you're playing here we know what you're doing but uh, to me that was the funniest thing about the whole uh, NBA all-star lineup thing was <laughs> Kevin Durant picking uh, Rudy Gobert over James Harden with like the last picks on the line that that really shows uh, the situation between Katie and, and James at this current moment in time
0: yeah, that's that. When I saw that and I sent it to Kyle, like I was laughing mid-forward because I just saw like how it transpired, and then Braun with the clipboard, it, it it killed me. Like that that solidified the moment as being one of the funniest moments I've ever seen between NBA players. There are a lot of friends now, especially like in today's era. So like to know that there's now animosity between some players, especially like they were legitimately teammates like eight hours ago. So I just I find it really really funny. But, I mean, this All-Star weekend coming up for the NBA, of course, after the Super Bowl is going to be an interesting one to me just because of how bad the selections have been for a lot of these activities, like the three-point contest, the dunk contest. I mean, for God's That's sake, weak. the three Takumbo brothers are in the skills challenge, like – why like especially the two irrelevant ones like what why are you in this and I then the don't why you gotta
1: be disrespectful
0: i'm serious why? like Daddy, why you gotta... or whatever the second one is that plays on the bucks like he don't get no minutes the youngest uh, Tionis, one i think Greece, his name is Tionis. whatever fucking alexander or alex or the one that was on the lakers when they won or costas whatever the fuck his name is
1: it's Costas. yeah
0: and and why when the fuck are they relevant like they're in and out of the g league consistently like whatever bro that like jared allen is in the skills challenge like what the fuck are we doing dude the dunk contest is ass toskino anderson or toscano anderson cole anthony um Obi that's Topping. your boy, though. That's
1: your boy. Cole? Don't be I'm disrespectful. Picking Cole. I'm picking Don't be Cole disrespectful. Now that's your I'm boy from Cole UNC. I'm to
0: win, but that is not an entertaining dunk contest, bro. Come on, like, what are we fucking see, doing I got, here, I,
1: dude? I gotta see Jaw in this dunk contest one day,
0: dude. The good players never fucking do it anymore. It's so annoying. Like, come on, we know Ja Morant would kill this. We know LeBron in his prime would have made this a fucking entertaining dunk contest. All the greats have done it. Kobe did it. Wilk did it. Fucking Jordan did it. Like, why the fuck can't you do it? You're not going to get hurt. You're doing these in warm-ups anyway. So it's not like you're not doing it ever.
1: So and you, this, can't really, and, and this, you can't really say that you're, like, risking your health w- with doing that. Because, bro, you're tugging a basketball. Like, Well, not to you, mention
0: he's doing it pre-game. I know.
1: I know. But, you know, it's they don't want to do it. Dumb. They don't want to do it. Yeah. Just... So
0: well, I'm not, I got to, I don't got too much faith in the NBA All Star weekend. Not that I ever normally do. It's gotten worse as Kyle and I have gotten older, obviously, but hopefully this All Star game, the fourth quarter, turns it around. Is it still the Kobe and Gigi rules? First to score 180 points or whatever wins?
1: Maybe, yeah. I'd have to go into, like, you know, I'd have to go into Google and then look it up, but. I mean, if they keep it like that, you know, going into this one, I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with it because it it will turn up the intensity a little bit at, at the end, but most we'll our game. It's like I said, yeah. they're not, they're not going to try it through the first three quarters. They're going to be some big spectacular plays. Oh, some guy hit a three point shot from the other free throw line on the other side of the court. Ooh, or some guy hit a logo shot or some guy freaking bounced the ball for the free throw line to give it to Giannis on an alley-oop. It's like, okay. And then they'll turn it up in the fourth quarter with like three four minutes to go if it gets close. That's pretty much how yep. it's going to go. And at least no, it'll, it'll probably be into- a little bit more entertaining than what the freaking Pro Bowl provided, where guys were literally doing two-hand touch. Stupid. Two- two- we've, two-hand already,
0: touch. We, 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 we've made a comment we, and segment made, about that. We, we,
1: we, if, you guys if you guys don't know, if, go back and watch our segment about it. It's a complete joke what the Pro Bowl is now.
0: It shouldn't even be mentioned anymore. Anyway um That about wraps it up, I believe. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, unless you want to talk quickly about Aaron Rodgers winning his, I think, third or fourth MVP, obviously second consecutive from last season. Um, thoughts? I mean, questions. I
1: mean, there's not really much here. I would just say that you know him winning the MVP is probably one of the most inconsequential MVPs I've seen in quite some time, simply because the guy can perform amazingly through the regular season, but when it comes to the playoffs. He falls short every single time. Every single time since, what, 2010 when they won that Super Bowl against the Steelers in Dallas? He just can't perform when it matters the most. So, I mean, you know, I could I congratulate Aaron for being able to get that MVP, but honestly, bro, it's like you could just throw it in the trash. Like, it's not even worth it. I, the guy would rather have a Super Bowl trophy at this point than another MVP trophy. I mean, I don't know how you see it, but that's how I kind of see it as.
0: I'm, I'm the same. I mean, to be honest, I think it should have been Tom. Tom had a better statistical season. They made it to the same round. I mean, yeah, Aaron had a top seed and a, and a lower interception ratio. doesn't matter. Tom did all of this at 44, led the league in almost every statistical quarterback category. If I'm being honest, it should have been my dog, Jonathan Taylor. But, you you know, I, I knew that wasn't going to happen. So I would have, oh, my God, Luca had a career high, 51 points. Wow, good for him. And a win. Look
1: at us. Yeah, but, I mean, If Derrick Henry didn't get it with, like, rushing, like, damn near 2,000 yards last season, Jonathan Taylor wasn't going to get it with, like, what did he have this year? Like, 1,500? 18-something. 18-something. Pretty good. good, But if Derrick didn't get it last year with rushing over 2,000, (laughs) JT wasn't going to get it, unfortunately for you.
0: Yeah. But, hey, at least I gave your boy some credit on the way out. I think an MVP would have been a pretty nice end to the resume.
1: That's if he's done. Right. Yeah. if he's done. I'm telling you, you, one weekend with the in-laws, bro. He's gonna be like, "Yeah, this this family shit ain't for me." Go back on the field, go for number eight. Hey, we'll see what happens. <laughs> I'm, just, in July. I'm leaving the door open. Uh, listen, more he's than likely dead. He's he done. left
0: it open himself.
1: More than likely he's done. I'm just saying, this family thing. We'll see how it goes. We'll see. Be play the dad role for a couple months, but I'm telling you, bro, he's gonna get the itch. It's Everybody gonna be tough, does. Gonna be a tough thing to fight. He's going to look around the leagues like, man, I go out there. I could put up 4,500 yards, 35 touchdowns at 45 years old. I think I could do that. It's better than pretty much 95% of the quarterbacks that are out there. So Not wrong. I'm just saying, you know, somebody goes down. Hey, hit my line. That's all I need. Stop it. Oh. But, uh, Kevin, I I think we're pretty much all wrapped up here. You think?
0: Yeah, I I think that's about everything. I mean, guys, pretty much same routine as always, business as usual. Thank you for all the support. Uh, We really appreciate it. About 368 subscribers. I know we like giving you guys updates, but the progress is showing. The effort is showing. Things are going great. Obviously, nights like tonight, Kyle and I have been itching to record all day long just because of everything that's been happening That excitement, that joy, that overzealous feeling to get in front of the camera just to make sure that we give you guys the best content that we can is the best part about this. So, again, without you, we wouldn't be anywhere. But as always, we will be giving you, I guess, day-by-day coverage. We're trying to change our schedule. We're kind of working it out, trying to change a little bit of things. Change a little bit of things. But, uh, Kyle, I'll let you kind of explain a little bit more.
1: No, I mean, essentially what we're going to try to do is – so, like, for example, when the Sabonis trade happened – uh, this past week. Uh, Kevin and I really didn't have like a separate segment covering that because that was a pretty big trade that took place. And I think what Kevin and I are going to try to do uh, over the next couple of weeks or so, we really haven't kind of figured out when we're going to start doing it yet. Um, we're going to do our two typical episodes like we do on Mondays and Fridays. I mean, that's not going to change. But we're going to try to do, it just it depends on our schedules, is just trying to find a decent day to drop. You know, maybe a segment or two in the middle of the week covering maybe some of the sports stories that we would miss in the middle of the week because we're not doing an episode. And really, it's just that way, at least you guys will get content from us in the middle of the week instead of just getting content on just Monday, Friday, and then maybe sometimes I'll, like I'll put out something on Saturday. So at least we'll try to put out a little bit more content throughout the week so there's not like this big gap where there's no content from Tuesday to Thursday, just because there are some stories that are pretty solid to cover in the middle of the week that we unfortunately miss sometimes because we just don't do an episode episode during the middle of the week. So granted, you know, Kevin and I, you know, we put a lot of work, we put a lot of effort to make this happen. Uh, We don't want to get to the point where we get burnt out by this, by just doing this constantly that's why we don't do daily episodes because i'm pretty sure that kevin and i would probably hit a brick wall at a certain point just mentally speaking because and we'd run out of
0: shit to talk about if we're covering it it, every day
1: yeah and it's like doing doing that type of thing would we would just get burnt out like this is this is supposed to be fun for me and kevin you know we enjoy sitting down shooting the shit talking about sports and that's why we do the two podcast episodes a week but what we'll try to do is just try to incorporate a little bit more content in the middle of the week so there's not this big gap in the middle because there are some good stories to talk about uh, when we're not recording podcast episodes. But that's something that we'll try to do uh, within the next couple of weeks weeks or so because we are coming up on our one-year anniversary as a podcast, as a neighborhood podcast. So we'll probably talk about that a little bit more when that date approaches. But that's what it's pretty much on the agenda moving forward. So that's what we'll try to do.
0: Little things we're looking to improve always. Every week, if we can improve something, tiny little things, tiny little details, content updates, it is what it is. We're a nobody podcast trying to make it big, trying to just get noticed, and also just trying to have fun. So if we can make something better, then so be it.
1: And and, and that's really at the forefront. If it's supposed to be fun. We do this for you guys, and we definitely appreciate the support wherever we can get it. You know, if you guys listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Definitely appreciate you guys tuning in. If you guys watch our YouTube content, definitely appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, As far as next week goes, like usual, we'll have our Monday episode. We'll be recapping the Super Bowl. Uh, We'll have a winner by then. Unfortunately, the NFL season will come to a close. I know that's very sad for both me and Kevin. This could be another seven months before we can talk about it again. I'm not happy about that. But um, really, once the Super Bowl is over, we're going to go full-fledged into the NBA. we got a lot of content to go over uh, in the next couple weeks or so, we'll talk a little bit more about, pop, about the Nets and the current construction of their roster because, you know, adding KD, Kyrie, and now Ben Simmons into the lineup, that's definitely going to be an interesting story to talk about. And then we're just going to kind of see where things go up until the All-Star break. So we're kind of hitting the middle of the season with the NBA. So we got a lot of content to go over. And then we'll kind of see what happens with baseball. Baseball's in limbo right now. Um, that, that lockout. Does not seem to be turning around anytime soon. Not a lot of progress from both parties as far as the players and the owners are concerned. So this is definitely going to be a while before we see uh, baseball players hit the field. Because I do not think it's going to happen within probably the next couple months or so. It's going to be a while. So, But that's what we have on the slate for you guys uh, coming up next week. So definitely stay tuned. And Kevin, I'll let you yep. uh, take it out from here.
0: All right. Well, guys, we'll be seeing you. Uh, obviously, Sunday night will be recorded. Monday, we will have a winner for the Super Bowl. But until then, guys, have a great rest of your uh, week, or should I say a great Friday, and then have a happy weekend. We'll be seeing yes.
1: you soon. All right, yes, Peace out. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us from renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed ever thought about starting your own podcast do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world well now it's easier than ever with electrocast hi i'm mark netter and i'm peter rapelson we're the founders of electrocast media whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one join electrocast to grow your audience monetize your content and build your community
0: With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion,
1: world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to ElectroCast.com and join our community today. ElectroCast. Transform your influence. ElectroCast.